welcome to the Daily Records political podcast. Um, Dave Clegg, who usually does this, is away um, skiving on holiday just now. Um, so you've got me, Andy Phillip, uh, political correspondent at The Record. Um, and we're doing something a wee bit different today. We've got um, an MP rather than an MSP, uh, Ian Murray, Labour MP for Edinburgh South. Elected about eight years ago, it's been uh, sometimes a lonely job. Um, and before politics, you had a very interesting career, including um, running a pizza delivery firm. Correct. Um, it's been a bit of a roller coaster for you and the Labour Party since then. Um, so, do you wish you still delivered pizza? No, I deliver on behalf of my constituents now. Yeah. What else do you want me to say? <laughs> That's the right answer. Well done. Actually, I did some really good events as well. And then I used to run a big part of the festival, which I loved. So, yeah, I miss some of it. You miss some of it, but um, are you happier now that you've got some more colleagues around you at Labour? And, um, yeah, not so much on your 2017 own? election was good. I mean, being on my own for two years had its advantages, had its big disadvantages. But having a few colleagues now is great because we share the workload and... Um, it's not as if the workload's any less these days with what's happening at Parliament. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's good to have some new colleagues. I'd rather have a few more. I'd rather get back to the 40 or 50 we had before, but we'll take seven for the moment. Good. Well, um, usually we're here to talk about what's been going on in Holyrood and in Scottish politics uh, more, more parochially, but um, Westminster are having a wee recess at the moment. Um, but there was a surprise vote here yesterday, which you would have been very interested mm-hmm. in. Um, just for a little bit of background, there was a debate in the afternoon on Brexit and its impact on, I think, science mm-hmm. and research. But a, a little amendment at the end brought in by the Liberal Democrats ended up with uh, the SNP and Greens and Liberal Democrats voting to commit to having a so-called people's vote on the Brexit deal. Um, you campaign for, for mm-hmm. this very thing. However, Labour abstained in the vote yesterday. So what kind of message is that sort of sending out? Yeah. Apart from two rebels, of course. Apart from two rebels. Kezia Dugdale and Daniel Johnson, who's my Scottish parliamentary colleague in Edinburgh South. There must be something in the water. Uh, supported it. But uh, look, it's, it's fairly straightforward. We're running out of time. We leave the European Union on the, 19, on the 29th of March next year. We're a matter of months away. Um, so if the time is not now to try and support and back a people's vote, when will it be? Mm-hmm. Um, I know the Labour Party has a three-pronged attack in terms of its Brexit position, and that was what was brought forward at conference, and which is now party policy. It was brought forward by members at conference, not the, not the politicians, and that's to uh, judge any Brexit deal by these six tests, which, of course, mm-hmm. the six tests are set that the government won't meet them because the government's strategy isn't to meet those six tests. It's then to ask for a general election, which can't happen because there's legal... Uh, frameworks in place that stops it from happening. The Lib Dem and Tory coalition that people remember from 10 to 15, it was led by David Cameron, brought in a piece of legislation called the Fixed Term Parliaments Act, which makes it pretty impossible to have a general election unless the Prime Minister wants one, and we know she doesn't. Uh, And the third prong is to have a people's vote. So it is Labour Party policy, um, and we should be taking every single opportunity to back a people's vote to keep this momentum running, which is happening in the country, that it might be something that people would want to turn to in the event that Brexit, which it looks as though it's going to be, is a disaster. Do you think, do you think Labour should have um, got off the fence here yesterday? Well, I do. I mean, I, I think they should have done so. I, I don't quite understand why they wouldn't have done so at this particular stage. I mean, I know there's arguments about will of the people, etc., etc., but you do have to put it in the context that 
the Labour Party want a general election. We had one in 2015. We weren't mm. supposed to have one until 2020. We had a snap general election in 2017. And if you look at the will of the people argument, having another one in 2018 is just as the same argument as going against the will of the people as having another uh, shot at whether or not we should leave under the terms that the government are asking us to leave. So the people's vote campaign is essentially to say to the public, we completely understand you voted to leave the European Union on a UK-wide basis. Here is the deal the government are bringing back. Do you agree that this deal is something you want, yes or no? And if it's no, we should stay in the European Union. I think that's democratic and fair, and the Labour Party should be taking every opportunity to promote that. Just on that, if, if there was to be a second referendum, is, is that the sort of binary choice there should be? Well, I don't think the People's Vote campaign or anybody associated with this thinks it should be a binary vote. They're right. open to making it a multi-level referendum or making it an STV vote in that sense. So I don't think anybody's stuck to the actual detail of the proposals in terms of what that would look like, but I'm very clear it should have an option to remain, right. it should have an option to accept the deal, it may even have an option to not accept the deal and fall out with no deal, but the important thing here is to give the opportunity for the public to say, yes, we understand we voted for Brexit, but is this the kind of Brexit that we want? I think that's democratic. You have been encouraged by polling uh, recently, which said that, uh, which reflected in Scotland anyway, that there that seems to be the most popular choice to have um, accept the deal or stay in the European Union. Um, have you have you spoken to Richard Leonard um, uh, here at all about the the way that Labour's approaching this here, or 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 is it kept away? Are you speak to Jeremy Corbyn much about it? Yeah, I would speak to Keir Starmer, who's the Labour Party's right. spokesperson on this issue at Westminster, a lot, and his team a lot. He's doing a lot of engagement at the moment. I haven't gen- directly spoken to either Jeremy Corbyn or Richard uh, Leonard about this. Um, but the key proposal here is to, is to get this pushed forward. I mean, the momentum's clearly building, and it's not just the... I mean, people deny the fact that, that polling is a, is a stronger science as it used to be, and I think that's a fair criticism. But when you look at the trends and across all the polling companies, across all the polling that's been done, including the big Channel 4 one last Monday, all the trends are towards people wanting a second vote on this, uh, on the deal. And they also look as if they might vote to remain in the EU. So individual polls, you could maybe pick apart and say that polling companies don't quite have the sophology that they used to have. But if you look at the trends, the trends are the public know that this is now much more complicated than they realised. It looks as though the government are making a complete hash of it. So they are demanding that we have another say whether or not this is what we want. What, what do you make of the SNP's sort of slow walk towards this position on a people's vote? From um, Although there have been people speaking out about how this creates problems for them to do with independence, but that's something that's down the road and maybe hypothetical. But um, I, there's a cross-party campaign, people's vote, as far as it can go. Um, do you speak much to the SNP about this uh, in the run-up to it? I mean, have they been quite willing to get this far, or do you feel that they've kind of been dragged into it? Well, I think they've been dragged into it and they're continuing to be dragged. I wrote to the First Minister just before the summer to ask if she would support a people's vote, and she said no. Mm-hmm. Now she supports a people's vote, and all the SNP have rode behind that. Now, um, I'm quite happy to take anybody's support in this particular issue, because I think it's the most important thing facing the country. 
But there is no doubt that the underlying principle here for the SNP is about independence, as everything always is. Um, they've committed to voting in Parliament, but they still have that condition that if there is a people's vote and Scotland votes to remain again, then that should somehow lead to another independence vote. So it's not um, completely and utterly unequivocal support for a people's vote, but we need those 35 votes in Parliament. They've committed to giving those 35 votes in Parliament, and this will all, in the day, come down to parliamentary maths. But I was laughing on social media this afternoon that every single SNP post on social media is decrying the Labour Party yesterday for abstaining on the people's vote of the Scottish Parliament. They're now all full converts to this uh, in the space of a couple of weeks since Nicola Sturgeon committed to a people's vote. If that had happened less than a few weeks ago, uh, the SNP were all over my feed saying, why are you supporting a people's vote, etc.? It's undemocratic. So I, I take everything they do with a slight pinch of salt because it all has that underlying thing of independence. This is all about independence. Well, on that, uh, why why do you think that Brexit, which is is, is clearly causing a lot of chaos, um, whether you support it or not, I mean the way it's being handled is is, is clearly not perfect. Um, why do you think that it hasn't led to a, a real sustained push towards popular support for independence? I, I mean, well, it's it's quite clear that independence, in terms of the people that support it, hasn't really moved. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, you could argue that since 2014 and indeed since the 2016 EU referendum that support for independence has gone slightly backwards. And I think there's a number of reasons for that. I think firstly that uh, people, uh, there's maybe a realisation in the public that binary referendas are not a way to resolve some really complex issues. Mm-hmm. And Brexit is just something that's happened and therefore people can now see what actually happens when you try and answer a difficult question with a binary referendum. I think the second thing is that people realise how complicated this is to pull yourself out of something that you're an integral part of um, and the damage that that could be done. And the third thing's a bit more political, but the arguments the SNP make at the moment which are correct about the benefits of the UK and Scotland being in the EU are the polar opposite arguments that they use for Scotland not being part of the UK. So there's a real contradictory argument there. I mean, some of the SNP senior politicians, when they talk about this in the House of Commons, their speeches could have been written by Gordon Brown during the independence referendum, and vice versa. Mm -hmm. So there's a real contradictory argument for people to say we should work with our neighbours, we should pull and share resources, we should um, have a cultural and social attachment, we should have a political attachment with the European Union, but we should turn our backs on England, Wales and Northern Ireland. So there's a real contradictory argument there. And the other big contradictory argument is... The SNP have a policy, as Nicola Sturgeon said at First Minister's questions in response to Willie Rennie, that they want to be part of the single market and the customs union, and that's essentially their red line for any support of the government's Brexit proposals. But they want to pull themselves out of the single market and the customs union of the UK. Yeah. So there's a real problem there in terms of their contradictory nature. Well, just on, on, on the support for independence part, we had a, a poll um, from Servation just last week which suggested that it was exactly the same as 2014, 45 yes, 55 no. So um, I'm sure people might be flipping from one to the other, mm. but it's not going one way. It's not going for, one way. For, 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 but there, for there's a key reason. thing here, and this, is, this is, might be quite interesting for your listeners on this podcast. There is no doubt, though, that the narrative of having another second independent referendum and the cause for independence is helped by Brexit. I don't think anybody would disagree with that. Mm-hmm. And the irony of that is that Ruth Davidson could become like David Cameron has become the downfall of the United Kingdom. 
And this isn't just about Scotland, it's also about the arguments about reunification of Ireland and backstops in the Irish Sea and the Irish border and all those kinds of big issues that are around with Brexit. The Conservative Unionist Party at this moment in time are a bigger threat to breaking up the United Kingdom than any nationalist. Well, you mentioned the Conservatives there and also the Sea, uh, which is, is um, a good timing because Dominic Raab, <laughs> the Conservative Brexit Secretary, um, appears to have just discovered that we live on an island. Were you aware of this fact? Well, I'm glad he mentioned that last night because I had no idea we lived on an island. Yes, it's, it's, uh, it, just to, to, to quote him, he said, I hadn't quite understood the full extent of this, but if you look at the UK and how we trade in goods, we are particularly reliant on the Dover-Calais crossing. What um, does this um, tell you about uh, you know, where we're going with negotiations? I mean, it tells you I need to know. I mean, Dominic Rabb's in charge of the UK's negotiations of leaving the European Union and the realisation, as we get five months before we should leave, that the crossing between the United Kingdom and France is important and most of our goods and services come through that pathway is quite frankly astonishing. And not only is it about um, essentially that connection with England and France, but most of the... Uh, goods and services that come out of the island of Ireland, whether it be Northern Ireland or the Republic of Ireland, come through the UK and go through that route because that's the best, quickest and easiest way through. There's very few routes in terms of sailing or otherwise that go from the island of Ireland into France or into continental Europe. So um, I'm really surprised that he has only just realised that and in actual fact this shows you, going back to your first question, why we need a people's vote on this because the government are all at sea. Oh, you like that all of sea. Ah, you've been working up to that. Love the puns. Um, well, we can't we can't ignore um, the fact that this is a uh, Thursday. It's just been First Minister's questions. Um, although you you wouldn't have been in the chamber, um, there was an issue raised that's close to your heart. Another uh, pun. Another one there. Um, Labour MSP James Kelly raised the um, the sort of the, well the, the shocking um, scenes that were at the the, the Edinburgh Derby last week. Um, Neil Lennon struck by a coin. All sorts of other incidents going on on both ends of the pitch. I think. Um, were you were you at the at the game? No, I wasn't. No. I was at Westminster last okay. Wednesday. But um, as a as a as a very um, committed Hearts fan, what does what what did you th- what was your reaction to the to the scenes that were played out there? Well, th- there's many aspects to this. Um, I don't think we should vilify the entirety of Scottish football and the entirety of Hearts or Hibs fans on the basis of five or six complete fools. Um, there was 20,000 people in the stadium uh, last Wednesday night. There was half a dozen arrests, I'm not too sure of the entire number, and there was one or two idiots who decided to punch goalkeepers, throw coins and that kind of stuff. So let's not overblow this. However, there is a real problem and an increasing problem in Scottish football with the return of violence at grounds. Uh, and clubs, I know, do an awful lot. I know Hearts and Hibs have come together after that match. Mm-hmm. I know Leanne Dempster, the chief executive at Hibs, and Dan Budget Hearts have come together to try and find ways of resolving some of this. But this is a small number of complete idiots at football matches that we need to root out. And I would just encourage fans to root them out. The best thing to do at a football match is for your own fans to police your own fans. Find out who these people are, report them to the stewards and the police, and get them banned from grounds for life. That's the best way of dealing with it. The second issue about the sort of institutional racism and bigotry in Scotland. It's right to raise that, but I think we need to be very careful we don't conflate the actions of a few idiots with a much bigger issue around sectarianism and bigotry, because I don't think that is the 
particularly in the context of the Hearts and Hibs game, I don't think that was the catalyst for this stuff. I think the catalyst for this stuff was a few mindless idiots. Mm-hmm. Um, but Neil Lennon has suffered, undoubtedly, as being a player and a football manager in Scotland over bigotry, but I really don't think that what happened at Tynecastle or what happens in uh, when I've been supporting football has anything to do with Neil Lennon's background or his religion. Um, well, you raised a couple of points there um, that directly uh, are connected to Hollywood. Um, I mean, Labour were very. Well, the repeal of the the offensive behaviour of football act was was pushed along by Labour. Um, do, do, was this the was this a correct move to make? You think? Well, it's understand that the, the, the offensive football act didn't work. The police didn't think it worked. Uh, the clubs didn't think it worked. So, I think it's right to get rid of a piece of legislation that doesn't work. But I do feel that clubs, the police, and society needs to work together to root out sectarianism, bigotry, and racism in all forms of. Uh, inequality in that sense because the, the, um, James Kelly was right in his question this is completely and utterly unacceptable and what Neil Lennon has said is completely right um, and we do have to root it out but I just don't think we should conflate all of these issues together in, in one thing one thing I would say about Neil Lennon though is that the reason that um, supporters of opposition clubs dislike Neil Lennon is primarily because he was a bloody good player and he's a great manager Let's not discount that. And it is the best players of opposition teams and the best managers of opposition teams that get the most stick because they're good. And that's partly, I think, why uh, Hearts fans in particular uh, have a very, very strong rivalry with Neil Lennon because he was a great player for Celtic when he played against Hearts and he's a great manager for Hibs. This is true. So when the, the, one of the other things is that fans policing fans. What about um, the, the, the debate that's re-emerged a little about... Um, Clubs being held responsible for the actions of their fans. Um, this is known as strict liability, and it is uh, used in European games mm. and in England. Um, but Scotland has been very resistant. Do you think that this is something that needs to be revisited? Let's not throw the baby out of the bathwater. Again, there was twenty thousand people in that stadium. And there was less than half a dozen arrests, and there was a few mindful idiots. Um, it would be an utter, unmitigated disaster for law-abiding, reasonable uh, football fans of any colour to be banned from going to football games because of the uh, dealing with the lowest common denominator. So I would have to be persuaded that strict liability would be the way to resolve the issue. Um, And if, for example, if, if clubs ended up playing in front of empty stadiums for five or six games because of... Uh, the uh, actions of a few mindless idiots, um, that doesn't resolve the problem, does it? Because the mindless idiots are still causing the problem. So let's deal with the source of it. I'm not quite, I would have to be persuaded that the strict liability would be of benefit. Um, there may be other ways of doing it. Um, I would ban people from grounds, ban people from watching football for life, uh, really come down, get the whole of the, uh, ju- the, the, the judges and the whole of the um, judicial system against these people put very, very strict sentencing in place and stop people, mindless idiots, from creating problems at football matches. Okay. Um, so when are you back down to Westminster? Uh, Monday. We'll, back we'll go back, back to discuss Monday. the Tory budget. And the implications of that will obviously rumble on for some time. Yep. Uh, what's the, the mood like in the Labour group down there at the moment? Uh, I mean, Parliament's paralysed by Brexit. So the mood of the entirety of Parliament is dominated by that. So I think people are pretty frustrated, uh, pretty down. Um, if you've seen what the budget went through, people are pretty 
angry. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's not a particularly happy place, but um, we all keep fighting to do the right thing and hopefully we'll get there. And do you think that this um, general election is is a possibility? I don't. I don't, because the general election can only happen if the government want it to happen, and I can't see that going through. Uh, the DUP are propping up the Conservatives at the moment. Uh, they'll continue to prop up the Conservatives. Uh, they won't want a general election as much as the Conservatives don't want one. So whilst you've got that, uh, why, uh, simple parliamentary maths, why the government have a majority getting a general election is now impossible. Yeah. And Jeremy Corbyn, do you, uh, how's, how is um, your, your relations with him at the moment? Well, my marriage with Jeremy have always been quite good. They continue to be quite good. I, I disagree with him on his stance on Brexit. Um, hardly surprising given that uh, I want a people's vote and I want to try and stop Brexit. So I, we disagree on Brexit. There's very few other things in terms of policy uh, we disagree on. I think he's holding the government to account quite well in terms of what he does at Prime Minister's questions and in Parliament. Um, so I have no truck with Jeremy Corbyn at the moment at all and our relationship is very cordial. Okay, alright, well thank you very much Ian Murray for Pleasure. joining us today and we should be back with uh, Dave Clegg next time round. Right?